Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called The Battle of Wainuia Mata. It's by Stuff National Correspondent Florence Kerr, who joins me now. Hi, Florence. Hello. So I really like this story. It's an interesting one. It's about the parliamentary protests from a couple of months ago, but it deals with a couple of elements of that that I wasn't aware of or probably weren't widely reported. So just set up this top of the story for us. We're going to hear from a character uh, named Rawari, and he's dealing with a couple of complex ideas, tikanga and mana whenua. So just uh, walk us through that to start. So Rawari is quite representative of what a lot of Māori were going through during the protests. And that was dealing with, there were two issues happening at the same time. We had the actual riots, but we also had this quiet war that was being waged against tikanga, Māori law. And so what tikanga is, is basically Māori principles of behaviour and how you should behave on um, anywhere, Basically, and so what happened is that Mana Whenua had come out and said, basically, you are visitors on our ancestral land, um, behave accordingly. And so that sent out a ripple throughout Māori Dim. And what we saw from that point, once that went out from Mana Whenua, is Māori across Motu that weren't involved in the protest were now watching. And it became a daily habit, checking the videos, seeing if cousins or brothers or sisters were actively breaking that principle, that Māori law, um, as the protests were ongoing. Now, um, mana whenua is um, the hapu or iwi that have the status over a particular area. Now, that particular area... um, is ancestrally linked to Taranaki Fanui, And so when we refer to mana whenua throughout this story, that's who we are talking about. And so the second part of the story uh, happens after the main protest in Wellington had finished, when a number of protesters left that area around central Wellington and went looking for somewhere else to go and, and went to Wanuyamata looking for somewhere else to, to set up camp, more or less. This is really interesting, and I feel it wasn't covered at the time or, or widely known at the time. How, how did you come across that part of the story? So what we did know publicly um, at the time was that we had marae whānau at Wainuia Matamarae standing guard, and we saw that play out um, in the media. What we didn't know was how far these protesters went, and we look at the fact that they try to take over a papakainga complex. So all this came about, I went to go and see the marae whānau and then they told me the backstory about how long they had endured abuse, about the fact that protesters not only came to the marae, they then scattered and went across Wainui Mata to try and get access to different parts of their whenua. Um, and that's how we came up with this ended up being a battle, not only at the marae, but across Wainui Mata. All right, thanks, Flo. Let's hear about that battle. Here is Florence Kerr reading her story, The Battle of Wainuia Mata. 
During the 23-day occupation of Parliament by anti-mandate protesters, Rawiri, a designer based in Auckland, was tasked with trawling social media. His job was to check protest footage and report back to his kuro, his granddad. They're not on there, Rawiri would tell his kuro who was in the far north. Righto, pōmārie, his kuro would respond. Then the line would go dead. Rawiri only wants his first name used for this story. He didn't want to out his cousins, nor did he want to be publicly connected to them. Rawiri's mission was to see if his cousins, who attended the anti-mandate protests, were deliberately breaking tikanga, Māori law, on the ancestral lands of Taranaki Fanui, who hold mana whenua status over the land where Parliament sits. If Rawiri's cousins broke tikanga, his koro and a small contingent of their whānau would have made the pilgrimage to Wellington to meet with mana whenua to apologise and help remedy the situation. Koro wanted to protect the rest of us that were not involved, Rawiri said. We were brought up with those stories about whānau being cursed because tikanga had been broken. Scoff at it all you want, but I wasn't prepared to test it out or wear this transgression our cousins were creating. But we had no choice. Our shared whakapapa meant they put us in a protest we wanted nothing to do with. Kuro was doing what he could to try and shield us from that. Tikanga is often referred to as Māori principles of behaviour developed over time from the past to inform the future. It can be used to help maintain balance between the physical and metaphysical realms and is derived from the concept of tika, to make correct. Rawiri's whānau were not alone in scouring social media to see if relatives were directly involved in violating the rights of mana whenua. During the occupation, protesters allegedly smashed the windows of Taranaki Fanui offices in Wellington, dumped raw sewage in the moana, and shouted at Tamariki and Gaumatua on the streets. A group of protesters invaded Pipitia Marae on Thorndon Quay and attempted to trespass mana whenua who were working with the police and Māori wardens from their own Tūranga Waiwai, or standing ground. Another contingent of protesters then tried to invade Wainui or Matamarae and Papakainga, home base. Taranaki Fanui leadership received koha and apologies from embarrassed whānau here and abroad in their bid to remedy the actions of their family members who attended the protests. The repeated violations brought together iwi from across the North Island in late February, a few days before the protests came to an end in a show of solidarity with mana whenua. The unprecedented move saw Taranaki Fanui lay te kahu o te raukura across the ancestral land, a cloak of aroha and peace to protect the land, sea and their people, and they hoped the protesters would take heed of their call to respect the whenua, moana and people in Wellington. While some did leave the protest line, many stayed, Days later, police forced protesters off the grounds, revealing extensive damage to the whenua that will take time to heal. Protesters cried foul over the way police dealt with them. Rawiri called it karma. 
you cannot expect to do what you've done to mana whenua and not expect repercussions from that. As the occupation of Parliament grounds ended, another battle began, this one in the Lower Hunt suburb of Wainuiomata. As Deb McIver's expert hands manoeuvred the garment under the sewing machine needle, the phone rang. McIver was volunteering her sewing skills at the local Pātakakai, a place that fed and clothed thousands who were doing it tough in Wainuiomata during the pandemic. She was busy, and the Omicron surge increased her mahi. On the other end of the phone was Wainuiomata Marae member Tina Altanaratana. The protesters were coming, Altanaratana said. They were looking for somewhere new to set up base, and they had targeted the marae. After seeing the actions at Parliament, Wainui o Mata Marae Fanau were clear. No one would be taking their marae. In all my years, I've never seen tikanga so blatantly trampled like that, McIver said. It was shocking to see. If we don't protect our sacred practices and spaces, what is the point of it all? We have those customs for a reason. I still can't get over the fact they could do that without worrying about the consequences. McIver left her sewing machine and went straight to the marae to stand guard. She joined a small group of women, some grandmothers. They stood across the driveway waiting for the convoy. As word got around, more marae whānau and community members showed up to help. We started out with three fold-out chairs on the front line. By the end of the week, we had gazebos, kapahaka performances, kai everywhere, McIver said. It wasn't just Māori on the front line. We had our entire community turn up to protect the marae because of the work the marae does for the entire community – from vaccines, classes for various things, it was multicultural on that line. The Wainui or Mata Marae had acted as a community vaccination hub of sorts, somewhere where the locals could receive their vaccines. Those who lived further away were even serviced by a mobile vaccination bus. Marae member Tina Altanaratana wasn't surprised by the protesters' actions. While most people accepted and applauded the work of the marae, she said a few were against it and took matters into their own hands by making death threats against vaccination staff. Anti-vaxxers had also entered Wainui o Mata marae through the back door, Altanaratana said, and attempted to trespass the home people, the hokainga and vaccination staff, all in the lead-up to the parliament protests. And hours before protesters showed up in Wainui o Mata, a man had come onto the marae and asked the caretaker about the security system. It was a strange request and was immediately reported back to Altanaratana. She knew the marae was the next target. There's been lots of threats, she said, particularly to our vaccination nurses in their own time as well. There was one vaccination nurse just doing her washing at the laundromat and she got threatened. Our local Pataka Kai, they had people go in there and threaten them. And this was weeks before what happened in Parliament. Ratana continued. There have been threats of hangings. 
irrespective of your beliefs, no one deserves that. They didn't deserve that kind of harassment and treatment. You can't imagine how horrible it is to take the stand and be treated like you're the one in the wrong, especially in a sexual crime situation. From Bird of Paradise for Stuff, this is Tell Me About It. Going behind the scenes of our journalism to the voices of real people whose stories make the news. You're just so out of control of it, you know. I felt like a ghost of the system a lot of the time. It's like, no, why can no one actually see who I am? With me, Kirsty Johnston, Michelle Duff, and our producer, Noelle McCarthy. Can I ask you a question that might seem quite basic? Has it all been worth it? From a justice point of view, I would still struggle to say that right now, but it's still raw. Tell Me About It was made possible by New Zealand On Air. Subscribe and review us, please, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When the parliament protesters arrived at the entrance of Wainui o Matamarai, they were greeted by a seemingly impenetrable wall of community members of every ethnicity, age and social standing. Local leaders, Rotary members, gang members, league players, teenagers and elderly knitters stood side by side blocking entry to the marae. The Wainui o Mata marae protectors made a pact not to engage with protesters in slingy matches, not to live stream their side on social media. They made a concerted effort to be respectful when protesters attempted to use whakapapa and the Māori concept of manakitanga or hospitality to gild the community into giving them access to their whenua. Those holding the line wouldn't be drawn, instead choosing to use peaceful resistance a historical concept some on the front line were able to relate to their ancestors who were part of the resistance at Parihaka, the peaceful Taranaki settlement invaded by Crown troops in 1881. Olsen recalled one protester who yelled at the Wainui or Mata protectors to remember Parihaka. Akuya on the front line became upset. Those were her tipuna, her ancestors the protester was trying to use to gain access. Olsen Ratana said the marae management were not asked by protesters beforehand if they could stay. You don't have an entitlement that allows you to just walk in and please yourself, she said. Definitely, the breach of tikanga was a big one. The audacity to think you have this entitlement and this complete disregard for tikanga was just not on and they showed that with their actions around Papitia and at Parliament. That's Māori land. It's not just Parliament. The waste going into Tangaroa, the ocean, with no care at all, and thinking you can just walk in here? We couldn't let them do that here. A few streets over, at the Te Punawai, Papakainga complex developed by Taranaki Whanui, Locals got wind that protesters were planning to use open spaces within the complex to camp. Regan Tupper Campbell, who lives near the entrance of the complex, said Kuya and Gaumatua lead the defence. I saw our Gaumatua first come down, with their cars and scooters to block off the road, and Fano put trucks in front of the alleyways to stop access there. When the first wave of protesters arrived, they couldn't breach the line, 
so instead hurled abuse at the Papakainga Defence Force. We had whānau sleeping in cars to protect the area, Tapa Campbell said. We were telling our kuya and kaumatua to get back inside because it was makariri, cold. And we were okay to stand guard, but they wouldn't listen. When they would go home for a break, they would come back with kai they had cooked. The protesters would circle the block slowly in their vehicles, trying to find weaknesses in the defence line. It was impenetrable. Many protesters took refuge at local holiday accommodation sites. After a few days, it became apparent to some protesters that the line of defence at the Marae and Papakainga could not be breached. Some moved on, while others attempted to rectify the imbalance they had brought by breaking tikanga. We were reached out to by a small group of protesters who wanted to apologise, Olsa Naratana said. We also had a group of protesters that were staying at a holiday park not far from our marae who also wanted to come and apologise, and we let them. We came to an amicable agreement with them during that restoration process that that apology would mean for them to leave in peace and go with our blessings, and they left our area the next day. Since then, vaccination workers and marae staff have not been abused. For the Hokainga, home people of Pavitia Marae in central Wellington, however, apologies from protesters have been less forthcoming. They had received one text saying, Soz. Kara Puketapu Dentis, the chairman of the Taranaki Whanui Port Nicholson Block Settlement Trust, said the blatant disregard for tikanga during the protests and then the Battle of Wainui Omata was sickening. He, like Rawiri, and many Māori across the country, also reviewed footage from the protests to see if they had any direct whakapapa or genealogical links to those involved. There was deep shame from a whole number of whānau who connected with us to apologise because they did see their whānau on those videos, Pukitapu Dentist said. And they apologised on behalf of their uri, descendants and their whānau for the actions, transgressions and breaches from one of their own. We received koha as well from whānau across the motu and Australia to try and restore that mana and I'm glad to see that whilst there were some who were actively trying to breach tikanga, there were also some who were actively trying to restore it so that was heartening to see. But to do what they did totally undermined the code that we have as a people that enables us to operate in a way of balance, in a way of utu, the maintenance of that balance, and in goodwill and honour. In many ways, these people were quite lucky that they encountered us in a situation where we had the police and Māori wardens there because if it had just been us, the situation might have been different. The anger at those that breached tikanga was felt across the nation and abroad. In the final days of the protest, mana whenua laid te kahu o te raukura, a cloak of peace, a spiritual protection over the land and people of the area. It served as a warning to protesters about their responsibility as visitors. It also calmed the fury being felt throughout Māoridom, 
particularly those ready to take matters into their own hands to seek justice for the breaches. The situation on Parliament grounds had reached heights unseen and slight changes made to the ceremony went largely unnoticed to the untrained eye. However, those that understood the kawa, Māori customs, could see that mana whenua had laid down more than just a peaceful protection. It was a clear warning to protesters. One more breach would not be tolerated. Typically, a young kōtiro, girl, would do the symbolic laying. This time, a kairako, warrior, did so. We were angry, Pukitapu dentist said. Hence why we used our kairako to lay down te o te raukura, which was basically saying, here is our raukura. We lay that out first, but if you undermine that once more, then here's our rako. To our mind, our raukura is here, but it has a backbone. Another change was where on the marae the ceremony was held. Normally, we undertake these processes inside the whare, Pukitapu dentist said. That's our tikanga, but this time it was on the atia, and that was sending a clear message that we were in the realm of Tumatauinga now, the god of war. We weren't holding back. Two days after the cloak was laid, Police cleared the protesters from the whenua. Taranaki Fanui were not involved in that action, but had maintained regular contact around the policing of the protests while it was in progress. My sense is that with the laying of te kahu o te raukura, our words and our actions gave police a sense of social licence to do what they did, Pukitapu Dentist said. And we did speak with Police Commissioner Andrew Costa and we said we didn't want to see violence because we knew that if there was violence it would be our own uri, our own brown brothers and sisters on the front page, on the news. I didn't want our whānau to be further painted in a bad light. It's not fair, they're just puppets of a right-wing fascist machine. Tikanga expert Professor Tom Roa says that when tikanga is breached, It creates an imbalance. So what do we do about it, he said. Well, Taranaki Whanui have done a very spiritual, very proper Māori thing that is also Christian. Their karakia was to restore a balance, to bring about something that will restore a balance. That might work for the land and for them as a people of that land, but what about the people that caused the imbalance? And in that respect... We have hōhaurongo to make peace after conflict, Roa continued. The ones that have caused the imbalance, if they recognise that they have done something wrong, they can participate and invite hōhaurongo, which is a reconciliation, and they can seek forgiveness. And they meet with the people they have wronged, and in this case, on the land where they have committed the transgression, and take responsibility. Pukitapu Dentist said those that stormed the marae and actively broke tikanga will be remembered for their actions. I think there is an understanding amongst our people that these individuals will carry the shame of this, he said, unless they come back to restore that imbalance that they caused by breaking tikanga, that shame will persist. 
But our whānau are restorative people and we welcome them back and we'll take them in if they wish to undertake that process. And we will teach them about our tikanga. We want to fix and support the fixing and the healing because once we do that, us, the home people, our collective mana, our maori is restored. They are our uri, they are our whānau and we have a collective responsibility in that healing process. That was The Battle of Wainuio Mata on The Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Florence Kerr and produced by me, Michael Wright. This episode was mixed by Sam Scannell. Stuff's podcast director is Adam Dudding. If you listened via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening.